We're in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, Matthew chapter 7. Um, excited about this text, I've uh, been looking forward to preaching it for some time. Um, I like this passage because it's a, it's a really good, really um, encouraging promise that Jesus offers, but it's also something that needs to be corrected. Um, I think that many in the church misunderstand this passage, and so it gives me an opportunity to speak to something that um, is important to me, and hopefully uh, you will find it to be helpful. So, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And that is God's word for today. Several years ago, eBay had a commercial, and it was a young boy sitting on a beach. And the commercial tells you that the year is 1972. And the boy is playing with a toy boat. He walks away for a moment, and the boat gets swept up by the waves and carried out to sea where finally it sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Thirty years later, that toy boat ends up in a fishing net, and it's brought onto another boat, and the fisherman sees it, takes it out of the net, takes it home, cleans it off, and sells it on eBay. Where the boy, who's now a grown man, finds the boat on eBay, buys it, and then the commercial ends with these words, whatever it is, you can find it on eBay. Now, I saw that commercial and when it aired, and, uh, and it got to me. And I immediately got on my computer and started looking for a stuffed animal named Poogie Bear, that I had lost 30 years ago. eBay lied. It was not there. (laughs) I tell you this uh, story because a lot of Christians, I think, have an eBay approach to Matthew 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Okay? 
So the approach that I think a lot of Christians take to this passage is whatever it is, all I have to do is ask God and he will give it to me. Right? Not exactly. Okay? I'm going to try to convince you that that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not promising that God will give us literally anything we ask for. And I, for one, am glad that's not true, right? If, if I had received everything in life that I thought I wanted or needed at that time, I would have missed out on some of the biggest blessings that God brought into my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, am I right? Any Garth Brooks fans? Garth Brooks fans? Um, so that's, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And I want us to look more closely at what he is saying. He says, ask and it, it shall be given to you. But what is the it? That's the important question. What is it we should be asking for and seeking after? We know this cannot include literally anything because of the context If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already used the word ask and the word seek in the sermon. In chapter 6, he says that the Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And that we should not heap up empty phrases when we pray like the the pagans do. Later in chapter 6, Jesus says, that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Trusting God to provide for our other needs like food and clothing. So this is why context matters. I think it's safe for us to say that Jesus is commanding us to ask for and to seek after not just any it, but specifically The things that God wants for us. Not what we want for ourselves. And that's the problem. The central problem of all humanity is that we don't recognize our deep spiritual need. We know that something's missing, but we diagnose the problem incorrectly And then we seek after the wrong solutions to the wrong problem. You know, somebody walks up to you on the street and offers you the antidote for a snake bite in a glass vial. Would you drink it? Of course not, right? Unless you'd been recently bit by a snake. I mean, I mean, think about it. If you're walking down the street, somebody says, hey, look. I've got in this vial an antidote for a snake bite. I need you to, you need to take this. You need it. You're going to run away from that person, right? Because I don't know you. I don't know what's in the vial, right? I don't know whether or not I actually need this. I haven't been bitten by a snake, okay? But if you had been bitten by a snake, you would go to an emergency room looking for an antidote, probably by a doctor, not by a stranger on the street. But you see the point. 
You see, people need Jesus, but people don't know they need Jesus. Even as Christians, as people who have professed faith in Jesus and understand that we have a spiritual need that only Jesus can meet, even us, we forget how much we need Jesus every single day. And what shows us or reminds us of our need that we have is actually seeing our sin. Recognizing that as Jesus actually calls us in verse 9 that we are evil. (laughs) Which I think is interesting that in the middle of this passage, he calls us evil. We have a need and Christ is the one who meets that need by his grace. Now, if you think back on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has actually spent the entire Sermon on the Mount trying to show us our need. Starting with the very first words in the sermon. What does he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Need. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Grace. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Need, for they shall be comforted. Grace. He says, Blessed are the meek. Need, for they shall inherit the earth. Grace. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Need, for they shall be satisfied. Grace. He says, Unless your righteousness exceeds That of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Need. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Need. Over and over again, he reveals our need of something that we cannot provide for ourselves. And Jesus raises the bar impossibly high in this sermon. As we've talked about. But then he meets us there with his grace. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened. What Jesus? What is it? What is it that I should be asking for? What is it that I should be seeking? What is it that I should be looking for? And the answer is everything that you don't deserve. Everything that you can't provide yourself. Everything that only I can give you. The answer is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But do you want it? Is that what you're seeking for from God? Is that what you think you need? Do you even want it? That's the real question this morning. Do you even want what God wants to give you? There's a, um, an important bit of information that we lose in English. The three verbs, ask, seek, knock, are all present imperatives and they are continuous in Greek. So in other words, what they're implying is persistence. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Okay? Don't stop. This isn't a one-time ask. This is a continual ask. 
And because this can also be easily misinterpreted, I need to clarify, okay? This doesn't mean that we are nagging or wearing God down when we pray, right? So He finally gives us what we're begging for because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, okay? That's not, that's not the point of Jesus' command. Instead, what I think is that Jesus is placing the emphasis on the type of person the Father will hear. His children. And how do children ask for things? With persistence. Right? Now, all my, all my parents in the room can say amen to that, right? When your child wants something, you're going to hear about it constantly. Right? And their goal may be to just wear you down. But Jesus is telling us something important about the relationship that we have with God the Father. He reminds us that God is our Father. He has adopted us as His children. This is... Um, this is then basically another heart question. So what Jesus is asking us is this. When we approach God in prayer, do we approach Him like a child going to His Father? Am I asking independence? Am I asking with persistence? Because I know that my Father has the power to deliver. And because I know that He wants to give me good things. Now, I think a lot of us forget this when we pray. We don't really think that God intends to give us the good things that we need. A few weeks ago, um, I heard a story on the radio about a golf tournament in Arkansas. And as part of this tournament, they were offering, the club was offering a prize for anyone who could hit a hole-in-one on a specific hole, which is a pretty common thing. And the prize was actually a brand new, like completely decked out pickup truck, okay? Like a, like a $60,000 truck. Now, of course, the odds of hitting a hole-in-one are very small, even for professional golfers. And so usually no one wins these prizes. And the club assumed that no one would do it, and so they decided not to pay for the insurance, which these places usually get, to protect themselves in the unlikely event that someone does hit the hole-in-one. Well, guess what? Some guy did it. <laughs> one shot, right in the hole. And guess what the club didn't want to do? They didn't want to give him the truck because they didn't buy the insurance. <laughs> and uh, I think so far they haven't given him the truck and I'm sure the man will sue and win. But here's the thing. I think a lot of Christians believe in their hearts that God is really holding out on us like that. God said He was going to take care of me. God said He was going to heal me. God said He was going to do all this stuff for me, right? He made all these promises. And we pray and we ask God to do things and then we feel like He's holding out on us. 
He's made promises, but we're not sure he's going to actually deliver on them. We suffer and we blame God. We don't get what we ask for and we blame God. And this is what it boils down to, okay? Either God is keeping something good from His children or we want something that He's not offering us because it's not what we really need. One of those things is true. Either God is holding out on you and he's not a God who is faithful and he's not a God who is good and he's not a God that sees you and listens to you or cares. Or you're asking for the wrong things. And I think that is um, the heart of the illustration that Jesus uses in verses 9 through 11. It's something that every parent in the room can understand, right? Our kids want a lot of things that they don't need. Things that might actually be harmful to them. I mean, how many of your kids would eat the entire bag of Halloween candy in one sitting if you didn't set some limits, right? The young ones anyway. And so here's the thing. This is the, this is the central truth that I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. And I think it's very, very important because I think our church culture is getting this very wrong in some ways. Not everywhere, obviously, but it's a very common problem. Faith is not magic pixie dust that we sprinkle on life to get what we want. Our prayers are not magic words that we're throwing up to heaven to twist God's arm into making something happen for us. It's not how this works. Okay, God is not a genie in a lamp waiting to bless us with that new car when we make the right wish. It's not even our works that are convincing God to do the things that we're asking to do, right? If you're righteous enough, He's going to answer your prayers. For those types of things, right? Um, I can't... uh, Let me go back up. I skipped over this. James, the brother of Jesus, clarifies this when he says... This is James 4, 3, I believe. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Okay? So, what's he saying? It's not that God doesn't want to give us what we're asking for. It's that we're asking for things that we're going to use for ourselves and have nothing to do with the kingdom of God or His righteousness. And I can't imagine that thinking of faith in the way that a lot of Christians are thinking of it, that if I just get the words right, or if I just do this thing, or if I pray this prayer, God's going to give it to me. Whatever it is, right? The eBay thing. Whatever it is, God's going to give it to me. I can't imagine that that sort of thinking really brings much glory to God. Because we've got a lot of Christians in our churches now wondering why they've had to suffer, why they've experienced failure, why God didn't give them what they asked for, 
And what a lot of them are thinking, because it's not being corrected, is they're thinking to themselves, well, it must have been something that I did wrong. Or I must not have enough faith. Or God must not really hear me or care about me because I'm just too lost. I'm just too bad. I'm just too not worth it. So either God's not good and faithful and worthy, or He just doesn't care about me because I'm not good enough. That's the message that we're sending. And it's the wrong message. And if you're struggling to understand this, I want you to please consider this. okay? Because some of y'all are really struggling with this because you've been hearing the different, a different message for a long time from a lot of people. But I want to, I'm going to use one last thing to try to convince you that's the wrong way to think about faith and prayer. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before the cross, Jesus spent some time alone in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And what He was doing there was He was praying to the Father. And He was asking for something very specific from God. And what specifically does he ask God to do? This is Luke 22. It says this. Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I want you to think about this. This is Jesus Christ, God's perfect son. Jesus never did anything wrong. Not one thing. God's perfect Son. He has a perfect, eternal relationship with the Father. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that God is worthy. He knows that God is good. And He asks for something very specific. Remove this cup. And He's denied. The Father says, no. And Jesus prays more earnestly. So much so that it says He's in agony as He prays. And His sweat became as drops of blood. Y'all, that doesn't just happen. He is begging the Father. Pleading with the Father, take this from me. And the Father says, no. No. No, son. I want you to notice the qualification that Jesus puts on the request. And this is the most important part. He says, not my will, but yours. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't want this. I don't want this cup. I don't want this, Father. But more so, I want what you want. Even if you don't give me what I'm asking for, what I would prefer, 
I will have faith in your answer. I will trust you. And so this is the same Jesus who looks at his disciples and said, ask and it will be given. What? Whatever the Father thinks is best. Whatever your Father thinks is best. And that's enough. Jesus wants us to pray because prayer demonstrates a heart dependence on God. It proves to us and to God that we trust Him. People who don't pray don't trust God, right? That's common sense. Prayer is the means by which God does provide for His people and God promises to provide what we need for His mission in our lives. He promises us a kingdom that is eternal. And if you are a son or a daughter of the king, it is yours by faith. He promises us the righteousness of Jesus, a righteousness that is received by faith. It's not something that I created for myself. It's something that was given by the Father through faith in the Son. And it's what we need to gain entrance into that kingdom. And so, my future is secure. I don't need a bigger answer to prayer than that. Everything else that that I do for the rest of my life is connected to that promise. And I believe that Jesus is not just Lord over a part of my life. He's Lord over the whole thing. And so, when I come to Him in faith... I have the freedom. I can ask for literally anything. But above that, always above that, is that I must trust that my Father will give me what I actually need. Because He is good. Because He is worthy. Let's pray. Father, we believe. Would You help our unbelief? Would you help us to trust that you are good and that what you have planned for us is good? We can ask you in faith and we can trust wholeheartedly that you will give us your kingdom and your righteousness. And your Holy Spirit is our down payment. And this table that is set before us is a reminder that you will do what you have promised. And so we ask you, Father, to make it a means of grace for us today. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup together, that you would unite our hearts and encourage us to trust you a little bit more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's table is set before us this morning. This table doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Christ's fellowship. We have no claim to it that is not common to all believers in Jesus. Um, it It is here for us as a means of grace. If your faith is in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you have professed that faith, then you are welcome to take. If you have not professed faith in Jesus, if your young children have not yet professed faith, then we ask them to wait until that happens. 
Um, they can come with you as a family. You can explain to them what these things mean. And we are ready to hear their profession of faith when that time comes. Um, the way we're going to do it, in just a moment, I'll give the words of institution and I'll call you down in groups. Uh, we stand around the table and take it together and then we pray. Uh, one thing to note is that the purple cups on the outside are real wine. The clear cups on the middle are grape juice. Um, and there's an equal number of both, so don't feel bad about taking whatever. And, um, and that's it. So... On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and prayed and offered it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. After dinner, he took the cup and he offered it to his disciples as well and said, this cup represents the new covenant, which is in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Amen. Um, can I ask... Uh, the musicians and uh, first three rows come forward.
that one? Blood across. Everybody else, come on down. Vamos a todos. Let's stand and sing together.